This morning we're going to be reading from the gospel according to Matthew. Matthew chapter 13, verses 31 and 32. Here is another illustration Jesus used. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed planted in a field. It is the smallest of all seeds, but it becomes the largest of garden plants. It grows into a tree, and birds come and make nests in its branches. This is the word of God for the people of God. Let's pray. Good morning, Lord. We do, we thank you for this time, this place, this opportunity you've given us to be able to come together with family, friends, loved ones, to worship you, to celebrate who you are, and to be challenged, um, to be challenged, to be, to be the people that you've called and created us to be, to explore what does that mean for us, and, and how, should we, how should we shape our lives, how should we be living. And so now as we, as we turn to your scriptures, we give thanks for the saints that have gone before us and ask themselves, these same questions. What does it mean to call you God and to call ourselves your people? And so be with us now. Open our ears that we might hear more than hearing. That by opening our ears, you might be able to touch our our souls, move our spirits in such a way that we are transformed, that we want to be transformed. So hide me behind your cross. So what we experience here today is you. Your grace and your mercy. Your love. Your joy. Your peace. Your justice and your righteousness. We pray all these things in your most holy and precious name. Amen. So, um, third week of our Advent series, because it's the third Sunday of Advent. And uh, week one, we're doing this thing, right, called Advent in Plain Sight. In week one, we talked about gates. And we had the gate up here, and it was a beautiful gate. Amy let uh, me borrow for that, and we had up here. And then last week, we talked about tears, and um, we handed out those little tear jars. And so if you didn't get a tear jar, you'd like a tear jar. I still have about 10 or 15 in my office if you want to swing by and grab one, you can. And so this week, we're going to talk about uh, trees. And it may be actually the most obvious one so far as we're in Advent to talk about since I'm willing to bet most of us, this is the only time out of the year that you have a tree in your house, <laughs> right? And I like having the tree. I like the smell of pine. I spent yesterday sitting by the tree and uh, reading a book. That's basically what I did most of the day um, while Denise cleaned the house and did everything. I'm, I'm not going to lie to you. That's just the truth of it. Um, but I love, I love having the tree. I love the smell. I like the lights. I love the decorations. And, and I want to talk a little bit this morning about the history of the tree, the Christmas tree in particular, and how it became sort of this, this symbol, right? Because I think that the Christmas tree has become maybe, maybe, perhaps, the uh, primary symbol of Christmas, is that fair? I think it is. I think that, you know, it, it's, it's everywhere. 
Um, if you watch the Christmas, the, the Christmas, um, I almost called it a special, the service, the Christmas Day worship time that we're going to have online, you're going to notice I have a coffee mug, and it has a Christmas tree on it. And um, Amy, let me use that. Uh, it's, she got it in, West Ger- in Germany, and it still says West Germany on it. Yeah. And so um, the Christmas tree, right? It's, it's, it's like the preeminent symbol of, of the Christmas season. But it's also, at least, I don't know, it seems more recent to me, has, has become quite debatable as to the origin and everything like that. We, we, looked, we like to point out the origin of things. And this, the, the origin of the Christmas tree has pagan roots. It goes all the way back to Egypt. I don't know if you knew that. It goes all the way back um, to Egypt. I always thought, you know, like more of sort of the, the Nordic area with Odin and things like that, but it actually does go back to, to Egypt. It actually wasn't until the 16th century that Martin Luther is credited with bringing the Christmas tree to Germany. We have a picture of, um, of Martin Luther, and uh, nope, that's the wrong one. We're going to get to that one here in a minute. That's the one. And that's, uh, that's so the, the, first, the first people to bring the Christmas tree into the house or ha- use this, and, and again, it was a lot of the symbolism we talk about with the evergreen and things like that and the lighting um, were, were the Lutherans, Luther, and his, his group. That was in the 16th century. But in the 18th and 19th century, I found this pretty interesting too, Christians throughout um, North America thought that the tradition was odd, and they called it uh, pagan mockery. So in the United States... 18th, 19th century, you would not find a Christmas tree in the house. Um, And in Plymouth, Massachusetts, in case you're wondering, in Plymouth, there was a law that actually banned any observance of December 25th that wasn't a church service. So the only thing that you could do on December 25th to celebrate Christmas was go to church. That was it. That, so that included decorations. Decorations were illegal. You could find yourself in trouble if you decorated. Again, it was because of this pagan mockery of the holiday. And it wasn't until the 19th century that decorated evergreens became the ultimate Christmas symbol um, and, and began to be acknowledged and widely enjoyed as, as it is today. It was in 1846, this other picture... That one that became very popular, that's Queen Victoria, and that's her with her children and her husband, Prince Albert, and they're in the Windsor Castle, and that is a Christmas tree, and she was so beloved that when this was published, everyone decided they were going to start getting Christmas trees. And that's how we got to the point we are today, where we have Christmas trees in every home. Yep. No, it's beautiful, Larry. Larry said it looks like the Charlie Brown tree. And so, does everybody, do you have a tree in your house? Now, I know, like, as my, as my grandparents got older, it became one that they just covered with a bag, and then they'd put it on the back porch. And then when Christmas, like, after Thanksgiving, they'd take the bag off of it and plug it in. 
Um, but they had a tree, right? Everybody's, everybody's got a tree. Right? Somebody said, what's wrong with that? Nothing's wrong with it. It's just, you know. So now, so now the symbolism of the tree is debated probably because of its history. But there are various theories about the ornaments, the lights, the topper. Some say the tree symbolizes the giving spirit and exchange of presents, uh, embracing nature and its role in the changing seasons, eternal life, embracing the traditions of the holidays. Um, and I thought about it, right? I think we all have different traditions and ideas of what it means. It means something different to each and every one of us when you're decorating, when you're setting up the tree. Certain memories begin to flood back. Um, it's hard for me to imagine Christmas without a tree. It's funny, I, uh, the tree changes over time in my mind, too. I remember when I was really young, we had this, there, there's, in my mind, it was this massive tree, right? And, um, and I, we had, I had these three little mice that I would put on the tree every year. We still have the mice. They were fuzzy at one time. Now they're not. <laughs> because as a kid, I would rub them. And I've rubbed them, and now they have bald spots, and they're dirty. And Denise calls them my dirty little mice. <laughs> and, and they go on. They go on the tree. But, I, man, I just remember these huge trees that we had as a kid. And then I was looking uh, several years ago. I was at my mom's house. I was flipping through old photo albums, and there's a picture of me standing next to one of the trees. And I was like, oh, my gosh, it was a shrub. <laughs> Seriously, it was like that big, but I must have been that big, and so it just seemed huge. So in our parable today, I think, I, I think it's important for us to take a moment and think about, okay, so how does the, the parable of the mustard seed connect to the tree? Well, for us to understand this parable, we have to first recognize that the mustard plant is an annual herb whose proverbial small seed can produce a plant. Normally, normally the, the mustard seed is from two to six feet in height. That's that on average. Now, uh, like, more like the Christmas tree that I had growing up. Now, they do have some extraordinary cases where it got as high, as tall as maybe 9 to 10 feet. But, but it does not produce a tree. There's no such thing as a mustard tree. All right? Um, this, this would have been noticed by the people that Jesus was talking to who live in an agricultural society. Most of the people Jesus is, is talking to worked on land they didn't own. So they would have realized that Jesus is saying something here more than a lesson in botany. It's not. He, he's not talking about plants He's talking about something bigger than that. He's, he's, the, what he's trying to communicate is theology. And, and they, they would have caught that. They, that. they would have realized, okay, that's the point. The, the point isn't necessarily the mustard seed. The point is the tree because the tree doesn't fit. It doesn't fit the story. Now, are you familiar with hyperlinks? Do you, online, you know what I'm talking about? They're often blue and they're underlined. And so if you're reading something, 
like for example, Wikipedia, as it uses them all the time, right? And you're reading, and there's a little, or an article, news articles sometimes, or things that we think are news, but they're really just whatever. Anyway, um, and there's these little blue things, and you click on them, right? And they take you somewhere else, and it gives you more information about what it was saying. All right, we're, I, I'm like, wow, that is so cool that we've got the technology now to be able to do that. And that if you want to learn more about what you're reading about, you just click on the blue link and it takes you there. Uh, it's not new technology. The scribes of the Bible have been doing it forever. There are hyperlinks all over the Bible. But the only way to know it is you've got to be familiar with the stories. And so when things are said in the Bible... Sometimes, usually, especially when Jesus is talking, there are going to be things that if you're listening, and the early Jewish people listening who have memorized and have learned the Hebrew scriptures, are very familiar with the stories, they're going to hear things and they're going to be like, oh, wait a second, I know what he's talking about. That's a hyperlink, they wouldn't use that term, back to this. So you got a parable about a mustard seed. That's what we call it. It's actually a parable about a tree with a bird in it. That's what it's about, right? He says this. Oh, I took my glasses off. Let's see if I can just put my arm far enough away. It becomes, right, it becomes the largest of garden plants. It grows into a tree. And they're like, no, it doesn't. And birds come and make nests in its branches. Now, we read it, and we're like, okay. They hear it, and they're like, oh, he's referring to Daniel. Or maybe Ezekiel. All right. What? Let me go back. In the book of Daniel, there is this story. It's about Nebuchadnezzar, and he has a dream. Interestingly enough, my Bible titles chapter 4, Nebuchadnezzar's dream about, you want to take what the dream is about? A tree. Yeah. So in verse 10, while, this is Nebuchadnezzar, while I was lying in my bed, this is what I dreamed. I saw a large tree in the middle of the earth. The tree grew very tall and strong, reaching high into the heavens for all the world to see. It had fresh green leaves, and it was loaded with fruit for all to eat. Wild animals lived in its shade, and birds nested in its branches. Daniel explains, The tree you saw was growing, this is uh, verse 20, The tree you saw was growing very tall and strong, reaching high into the heavens for all the world to see. It's, It's so all the world can see. It had fresh green leaves and was loaded with fruit for all to eat. Wild animals lived in its shade and birds nested in its branches. That tree, your majesty, is you. For you have grown strong and great. Your greatness reaches up to the heaven and your rule to the ends of the earth. So what is Jesus saying? The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed planted in a field. It is the smallest of all seeds, but it becomes the largest of garden plants. It grows into a tree. The birds come and make nests in its branches. It's not Nebuchadnezzar's kingdom that's going to do this. It's God's kingdom. 
It's God's kingdom that's going to reach all the way up to the heavens and going to be seen by everyone on the earth that's going to provide sustenance for everyone, that people are going to be able to come and find protection and shade and receive what they need in the kingdom of God. And yes, yes, Jesus appears to be very meek right now as he's telling this parable. A poor, itinerant preacher but the tree reflects the symbol of the imperial tree found in, in representations of the empires like we just looked at. And the presence of the hoped for kingdom in Jesus, his works and disciples is no more obvious than a garden herb at this time. But the kingdom will come in God's power and glory nevertheless. And I thought about that, right? I thought about how many times do we look into this world right now and we're thinking to ourselves, this does not look like the kingdom of God. I can't even imagine what that must look like right now. Man, things are dark. I said to somebody this morning, I said, you know what? I had this realization this week. I'm living my best life. And, and, and the thought was, um, I mean, that's fantastic, especially in times like this. But we feel that way, don't we? Like, in times like this. But in this parable, we see a king who is born into this world and operates in meekness can be represented by a kingdom symbolized by a garden herb rather than a great tree. It may be a tiny little garden herb at this moment, but the promise, the hope, is it's going to be a great tree. Decorating. When I think about this, and I think about that tree and the, and the bird, I'm reminded of our decorations at the house. You, you know, um, so Denise and I have been married, this is our 29th Christmas together. Um, and that first Christmas, it was, it was really, well, I mean, everyone's fun, but the first one was really interesting. So, uh, the year before we, we were engaged and Denise was, uh, we, we knew we were going to get married and Denise got up with her aunt, was it, was it, which aunt was it? Linda. And they went to Hallmark the day after Christmas and they bought all these decorations because they were like 75% off. And you got to be willing to get up really early on the day after Christmas and, and get there. But she did and, and so the day, our first Christmas together, we, we sit and we open up all these decorations but then we also brought decorations from our own trees that we had growing up. Did anybody, do, did anybody else do that? Like some of the decorations on your trees are, tree, are decorations that you had. And lo and behold, like I mentioned, I had the dirty little mice. <laughs> Denise also had this thing that I called the dried piece of skin because I couldn't figure out what it was. <laughs> it was. It was tissue paper with glitter and glue. And it was like rock hard, flat. And she was like, I made that in first grade. And I was like, I can tell. Um, <laughs> But she also pulled out this, this cardinal. I would never knew about this. And she said, yeah, you have to have a bird in your tree. And, and it has to be this, and it's this cardinal. And my, my grandmother gave us this because my grandmother insists that every tree has a cardinal in it. 
And, and I said, why? And she goes, I don't know. I think it has something to do with hope. Uh, we, this is the first year we don't have the cardinal in our tree because we went to pull it out and all the tail feathers fell off of it. <laughs> but Denise said, don't worry. I have another bird from my grandmother from Germany. So she anticipated, I guess, which is interesting because grandma's been gone for a few years now, but we still, she still provided the, the, the bird. And you see cardinals everywhere, right, with the Christmas stuff? In fact, we've got, we've got dish towels that have cardinals on them. And I think that the cardinal, the tree, goes back to the story, goes back to Daniel and Ezekiel. Right? Yeah, I mean, some say that the cardinal symbolizes a lost loved one. Some say it represents the love, commitment, and effort it takes to build a happy home. Um, some suggest cardinals are known to represent faith, hope, and love, which is what Denise's grandmother had said. But maybe for us, maybe, maybe for us, when we see the tree and the cardinal or, or, or the bird, we're going to be reminded of the meek king who reigns over the great kingdom that we long for. The kingdom that reaches up to heaven and rules to the ends of the earth. Amen.